Welcome back to the Curdverse. I'm Lisa Kaywood, corporate functionary by day, home cheesemaker by night. Last time on the Curdverse, we talked about cheddar and other forms of traditional British cheeses. But since the 1980s, there has been an explosion in British cheesemaking, exploring a wide variety of different cheese types. So today, I invited our first guest onto the podcast, longtime British person Mike Nistor to tell us about some of his favorite cheeses in the modern British cheesemaking scene. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Yes, a pleasure to be here and talk cheese, absolutely. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship with cheese. What is your cheese origin story? Well, it, it's it's an interesting story in many respects. So, uh, um, all, I, I've been living in Britain for... 30 odd years um but i was in fact born in romania uh, which is quite exotic uh, for most standards um and my love with cheese i suppose began when i was taken by my parents into the mountains for walks and things but often we would pass uh, shepherd huts you see and um uh, they still practice like we do in france over there the, the transhumans um, uh, practice which is essentially taking all the um, sheep in a village to the to the mountains for the summer, and then bring them back for the winter. So, of course, if you walk around, uh, you know these sort of various um, more or less huts, I suppose. But we 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 often happen to be there when they were making cheese, and this is not you know industrial. Uh, this is not even artisan to some extent. This was very much a way to preserve the milk and yeah. to to bring something back to the sheep owners to have. Uh, in the meantime, and it was just marvelous, you know. It was this sort of uh, um, the way the whey was, you know, then used in cooking uh, after the process. They had their own little cultures, which you know, moldy bread and so forth, and and also other things, and and taking stuff straight from the from the sheep themselves. And and, and it was just fascinating as a process for me uh, because I was at the age where the transition of one element to another, essentially the liquidity of the milk into the solidity of the of the curd was just magic. Uh, it is, and, it is. You know, and, and it was that sort of feeling of of independence in the mountains and efficient freshness and all that sort of stuff. And that stayed with me ever since. Um, and that's how we, the sort of love for cheese began and then obviously eating more and more of it and now making it as well. So, uh, and studying about it, um, part of the Academy of Cheese uh, in London. So, uh, yeah, that's the origin. Awesome. So what is the Academy of Cheese? I, I keep seeing things about it. Yes. I mean, the Academy of Cheese is, is a, an organization which is a non-profit and it's uh, designed specifically for the promotion of cheese, cheese making, cheese knowledge, and to a slightly lesser degree, uh, British cheese. Um, uh, they've done tremendous work during COVID to support cheesemakers in various respects, uh, organizing, for example, Cheese Weekenders where you know, online where people were introduced to cheese and various experts were talking about them and so forth and and promoting British cheese. And they run courses where you can either learn with a tutor or by yourself in the first phases, uh, the basics of cheese making, of cheese tasting. Um, 
there is a, a cheesemaker in England, uh, a cheddar cheesemaker, which is making cheese for hundreds of years, and, and uh, is Quick's cheddar, uh, they're called. And Mary Quick is the, is the latest in a very long line of cheesemakers. And she's starting a project uh, which has been taken with the Academy of Cheese to standardise, if you like, cheese tasting. Uh, now, what that means is, isn't obviously to impose a, a certain uh, you know, dogma on the on the tastes or on the cheese, uh, uh, well, on cheese lovers, but it was more or less to find common language when we talk about cheese. Um, mm. So, for example, if I you know if, if I told you something like a um, you know like a bloomy rind, you know exactly what I mean. And if I if I describe the slightly animal or slightly uh, you know mineral taste, you you probably know what that is as well. So you know the the, the kind of cheese is very much part of the product of a project to um uh you know uh, standardize this sort of cheese and uh, tasting and uh, find common ground uh in england yeah very cool so how would you describe sort of a classic british cheese um as as distinct from other cheeses from from other parts of the world well the interesting thing about british cheese i think it's it's there are two things uh, which, which you know, to, to my knowledge and, and to my sort of studying has shown. Firstly, British cheese was damaged tremendously in the early part of the 20th century, right after the war and, and slightly before by the, the milk marketing board, which essentially was a body um, which was created to uh, supervise the price and the production of milk. But actually, people who made milk and then used it for cheese were paid less per gallon than, than people who actually... Um, uh, used it for for milk for drinking and so on um so there was there was a great discouragement uh, uh in in those days for 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 cheese making in some respect and uh, there was a bit of a revolution in the 70s and onwards and, and there's a tremendous um character called uh uh Rance, patrick Rance, who, who basically led a crusade to 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 use raw milk again and then to actually get back to 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 if you like a spirit of of kind of 19th century uh, 19th century british cheese because of all this, and, and again, you know, obviously one can read more about it than I don't want to sort of lecture about it anyway, but, um, you know, British cheese is just emerging from a straitjacket in many respects. And, and, and I would say we, we are living into sort of the golden age of British cheese, where, where a lot of the stuff that was either ignored or, uh, you know, sort of uh, um, unsupported is now blooming and, and we, have, we have lots of lots of lovely lovely cheeses and and soon to rival friend the french i would say in many respects and in, in some cases we'll pass it and i I've sort of got an example for that so in, in that context i mean i would i would say uh, you know you can talk about the greats you know um you know about the wesleydales and the lancashires and the cheshires and all the rest of it but obviously cheddar is is you can't talk about english cheese without mentioning cheddar and uh, and the problem we have is that you know when when i say cheddar you know we have these kind of visions of this sort of fairly soulless blocks of of yellowish, you know, um, mess, uh, which are sort of plasticky looking a bit and look a bit untidy and look a bit false and Lego-ish and so on. And, and that's actually couldn't be further from the truth what, what's actually being produced now. Um, we actually recently had the first Affineur of the Year competition in England where Mary Quick uh, provided 12 cheeses to 12 different affineurs and, and obviously they all treated it in different ways and it was wonderful to see to be part of that event and to see how cheese actually well how, how the same block of three month old cheddar can develop and grow into something wonderful at the end and and so diverse 
there are lots of great cheddars, uh, and you have you know your Keens and Montgomerys and, uh, and and obviously the Quicks and others, but but the the, the one produced by the the Trethorn brothers in in the west part of the country, I think they're based in Western Super They that's probably I would say is one of the pinnacles of of British cheese at the moment in terms of cheddar. Uh, and there's two reasons for this. So, firstly, they they only do cafele, a uh, Gorywood cafele, it's called, and and the, and the pitchfork, which is the cheddar, uh, which actually I think won the world. Uh, I think came second or third in the world cheese competition in 2019. But what they do with it is twofold. Firstly, they have very old presses, so they actually went around the country collecting almost antique cheese presses, which they actually still use now. I think that there's an anecdote about them finding one in a pub and, you know, picking it up for a couple of pounds just because nobody knew what it actually was, you know. Yeah. Um, and the second is what they do is they, they, they have a fairly sort of gravity-defying, or actually gravity-led mechanism to pour the milk. So what they're very keen on is not to force the milk through a tube and therefore displace the fats and, and all the rest of it. So they feed it into this kind of overhanging vat, if you like, which then pours it fairly, you know, just basically using gravity, pours it into the into the cooking vat. Uh, and, and I think that gives the, the cheddar a, a lot of personality, which... You know, it's far removed from from the visions of, of of British cheddar, which we have in the seventies, and you know, and so on. And I don't get me wrong; I'm not trying to be a purist. I'm not trying to be a snob. And, and there's a place for for commercially produced cheddar out there, you know, and, and so forth. But I think, in terms of getting close to the spirit of British cheddar, I'll say that the pitchfork is 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 probably the best. Very good. Um... When you when you were talking about the the milk board, um, was was it when you said that was the early part of the twentieth century? Was that sort of before before World War Two? Was it between the wars? When did all that start? It started in in uh, early actually. It, it started before the wars, but but um, after the first war. But I mean, it actually went all the way. I think it was only disbanded in. I think it started, uh, if I remember correctly, it stopped operating in nineteen nineties, and it actually was totally oh. disbanded only a couple of years ago. Albeit its role has changed, um, the 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 thinking at the time was very much a, a sort of a war and an efficiency drive and a war policy where we need this very nutritious substance as milk, and we need it for to be consumed rather than be if you like played around with in terms of making cheese. Oh. Um, uh, so therefore, the, the concept of terroir, which which the French the French have, like you know we you know there's this particular type of milk and a particular type of region with uh, coming from animals which were particularly you know all this sort of stuff, it was quite foreign to to, to Britain until until quite recently. Uh, it, was, it was a very oh. functional approach. And actually, if you look at the the the, the, the penicillin, for example, content of um, of milk in the in the sort of late eighties was a lot higher than most European countries, purely because of the way the animals were fed, uh, and and that obviously transported into the milk. So, until I would say about eighties, the eighties, and and I say there was about some nineteen nineties is when the revolution really started. Um, the the quality of the milk used for cheese, not the quality of milk overall, was subpar in many respects. Um, mm-hmm. To produce something that we would call you know world world beating artisan cheese. Uh, so yeah, so it was very much a, a war creation, if you like, um, and a war policy, and you could see why it was done. Um, maybe the mystery isn't that it was done, but why it survived so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, so um, why don't we take a tour around Britain? Um, you know, I think you know, for for those of us outside of the UK, of course, we all know cheddar. 
Um, we don't necessarily know good cheddar, but we all know cheddar. But I think there are the you know there are a whole slew of of cheeses from all parts of Britain that perhaps are a little less known. And so I was hoping maybe we could we could tour the country a little bit with you. Maybe you could tell us about some of your favorites. And why don't we start in Kent and then yeah. we'll head west to the West <clears throat> Country and absolutely. I mean the, the the great thing that we have in in UK at the moment is that it's almost like the cheese industry is. is it no longer has a straitjacket around it. So, for example, in France, you know, if you want to produce uh, Camembert, uh, and I know it's produced all over the country, but if you want to be considered seriously, it has to be Normandy-based. Uh, you know, if, if you look at uh, something like Abondance, for example, it has to come from the village of Abondance, from Abondance cows, and and that's that's that. Now, Abondance is a fantastic alpine cheese, no, no doubt. But in a sense, it has a straitjacket. You know, it, it can't evolve beyond what it is, although what it is is fantastic, because it has to be produced at very, very specific and very, very exacting standards. In a sense, what we have in Britain, where we don't have so many OAPs and, and so many OAX and, and all the rest of it, is that there is that license to innovate at the moment. There is a license to, okay, you know, we don't have the terroir in a way which the French understand it just yet, maybe it's just emerging, and there is license to create and, and to do a lot of different stuff. Um, and, and COVID was was a tremendous example for this. So, for example, you know, we, we usually expect to have about five, six new cheeses a year, uh, new creations, if you like. I mean, during COVID, it was you know, 30-odd a year because a lot of people that, for example, were making soft cheese, all of a sudden found that they had to make hard cheese because they couldn't sell it. Uh, so they had to make something that will last longer, hopefully, by the you know by the time that they were maturing, the, the pandemic was over and they could go back to whatever. So there's a lot of creations in this way. Um, so you know, uh, from that point of view, we have a you know, if if somebody from the 70s wouldn't recognize the the, the many cheeses we we you know we have today, and that's why I think what I want to mention isn't necessarily the the classics, the, the stalwarts, as good as they are. I think it'll be interesting to look at some of the newer stuff. Uh, stuff that maybe isn't isn't so obvious. So in Kent, I mean, we have the, the cheesemakers of Canterbury who, uh, until very much the sort of early '90s, were fairly like a, a quite respectable but small dairy outfit, and have now grown into into. They, they were in a place called Dargate, uh, sort of between just outside Canterbury and, uh, which is the, probably the best well-known place. But um, they, you know, they were making you know excellent cheese. But now they've discovered a, a, a they, they do two fantastic thing so the first one is ashmore which is a very hard cooked cheese um slightly crystalline if you if you if you leave it too long but it's it's even sort of it's got cheddar qualities if you like but it's harder than cheddar so it's it's, it's a proper sort of uh um hard cheese and then that, that's the ashmore farmhouse and then they uh they do something called a dark gate dumpy which is a, a camembert wannabe but it's it's more or less with, with and is it with you, you said that was also goat term no, no, uh, they're both they're not, not goats. They're both cow. They're both cow milk. There is something called Ellie's Ellie's goat cheese, which is local in Kent, but uh, that's pretty much fresh goat cheese as opposed to, to matured. Um, but but the Ashmore is is is, is matured for, for a number of months between six and twelve, uh, whereas the Dargate Dumpy, uh, you know, the so kind of the type is of about six weeks or so. Interestingly, though, they 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 can't meet although Kent is is all often thought of of the Garden of England, they can't meet the needs they have for milk just from Kent. So actually they, they go up north to pick up some of the milk from um, um, uh, Stratford-upon-Avon, you know, so Shakespeare's place and all the rest of it. So actually, funnily enough, some of the milk they use down here, it's actually coming from you hmm. know, hundreds of miles away. 
um, that's purely in terms of, of, of demand. There's so much demand locally that they just can't, they, they don't have enough to, to, to make the cheeses. Uh, but th- those two, I would say, so Dashmont specifically is, is being nationally recognized as a very, mm. very good hard cheese. Um, so that'll be sort of Kent. I mean, um, uh, Baron Bygod, which is which is probably our our next, I would say our next cheese. Uh, that is worth a mention. I mean, uh, Raymond Blanc, the, the sort of renowned French chef, uh, called it that it's better than Brie de Mieux, which is for a Frenchman to say that. I'll say that. That's, that's nearly sacrilege, yes. Treason, really. <laughs> <laughs> it, yes, it is. So, so, so I think if he said it's that good, then then it is. And this is this is this is a very classic Brie uh, type. You know, it's quite runny. You know, and, and and wonderful thing about the Baron is that the more you leave it, you can go from sort of fairly chalky paste. You know, you can see that it's young and it's still nice but it's it's got relatively you know um, wet mm-hmm. chalk feel to it and then and then as you leave it along then it just becomes sort of you know runnier sort of creamier you know sort of notes of, of cabbage and so on so it's it's, it's a lovely lovely cheese uh, in many respects um so you know i would say that's that you know cheesemakers of canterbury are very dear to me because they're so close to where i live but the baron would be the first cheese which also has national recognition for being Excellent uh, and, and international as well, and they've recently started producing something with truffle, which is, you know, uh, if you if you like truffle, it's yeah. uh, outstanding. Um, so, yeah. so if we head west from from Kent, um, you know, Somerset, of course, is is the home of, of cheddar. But is it, are there are there spots we should stop off in between before we get to yes. Somerset? <laughs> Yes, I mean, there's there, there's 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 something fairly close by called um, uh, there's a Cote Blue, uh, sorry, Cot Cot Blue, Cot is uh, a Cot Hill is the farm, but it, it's it, the Cot Blue is the is the one that's most famous, and um, is run by the by the Davenports, uh, you know, they, they're again relatively traditional cheesemakers, but now they've had sort of new life infused into them by their by their son who's come to to help, and and you know they they make a lot of Cot Blues Cot Hill cheeses, but the Cot Blue is specifically good. Uh, and, and it's been recognized as such. It's it, you know in a country that produces Stilton, um, it's difficult to talk about blue cheeses. And and I'll be the first to say that blue cheese as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I eat any cheese, but it's not my go-to blue cheese. But the, but the, but the Cote Blue is 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 fantastic in its own right because it's a lot creamier um, and it has very much the so you know it's not a crumbly type, but it's it's not it's powerful without being overwhelming but but what i like about it is it has that essence of animal in it um i don't know how to say it without yeah, yeah, sounding yeah, yeah, funny but you know it tastes of cow <laughs> you said i mean you can feel you know it's got a very powerful animal element and i think if you're not good with very powerful smells or tastes then it's probably not the cheese for you well, you know, I think that you know, it's, it's it's actually really interesting, especially given your your cheese origin story. I think for a lot of people who are used to sort of mass-produced supermarket cheeses, that whole concept of of you know tasting the farm and tasting the animal and so forth is mm. is very very strange. But I think that you know if you're more accustomed to that, and, and you know, you're, you're with your your early experiences with you know very local cheese, I think that 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 absolutely makes sense to me that you would sort of gravitate to something it like is that. and 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 the thing is i don't mind i mean again i repeat i eat any cheese and 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 one of my you know i, I do a bit of social media and so forth but one of my strongest desires is to not be 
unnecessarily critical. Now, it doesn't mean not to be discerning, but I, I don't like, you know, the, the society in which basically we just go out there with a pure purpose of, of talking things down. I'm, I'm quite the opposite. I want to talk things up. So, you know, and I do that. So, you know, just because I say I like a particular cheese, I don't necessarily mean that creamery cheese or mass-produced cheese has no place. That's not it. But I don't like cheeses which are gimmicky particularly so you know things have got lots of fruit in it or they've got marmite in it or coffee in it or chocolate in it or whatever you know i i, I like my cheeses to have the personality there of whatever they come from and and i think in terms of blue cheese i mean there's another one uh, it is of, from from scotland called um, isle of mull blue and i mean that one is the strongest blue i've ever had it's marbled and that one really is like this is not this is this is this is not for the beginnings you know you only put that on the board <laughs> If you're aware that your your audience can take it, you know that that's one of those. It's like you you can kind of feel the the, the the very sharp Scottish winds in it. I mean, it's just so. Powerful. Whereas this one, it, it's very much. Uh, it's when you drink a, re- a really peaty Scotch. It, 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 it will lend itself very much to that drink. Yes. Uh, whereas this one, it's 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 very much different. It, it's it's not just because it's creamier and and it, but it's got a very so thin. It almost looks like a Morbier, but instead of that ash. A a line in the middle it's, it's a blue it's a blue line um so it's slightly more mellow but at the same time it's incredibly powerful in terms of the sort of raw animal uh, taste in, in a good way you know um so you know it's kind of going slightly sort of that way uh you know i think it's lincolnshire where they, where they originally are but I, I think they're slightly more more south than that but uh that would certainly be my you know if, if i were to build a, a cheese board here you know i would certainly go for the baron uh, and then and then the cold blue um, so, but but the one I, I really want to mention is is there's a cheesemaker called at um, uh, Kingstone Dairy, which is a, a chap called David Jowett, and and he's won so many prizes, unreal. He's, he's you know some people have get so big, weak at the knee when they see rock stars or movie stars or whatever. I, I have these feelings with cheesemakers, you know. I, I sort of I sort of I'm, I'm a you know I, I don't stalk them instantly, but it's just you know it, it's they have the same effect on me. And I think David Jow is pretty much a rock star uh, when it comes to British cheese. And uh, he's you know he's he's started very young, and I think he's worked with a couple before he he's settled at a sort of Kingston. But but he makes the the roll right, which is this kind of very Livaro sounding cheese which is sort of it's it's around it's sort of um surrounded by spruce uh, uh binding to keep it to keep its shape and it's sort of washed rind and it's it's it, it's it's talking about scottish whiskies it's very much where the smell and the overall aroma is more powerful than actual taste when you actually taste it's so mellow and it's it's so surprising and so subtle uh, and but when you actually smell that, you know, when you unpack it and smell the first thing, you think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm in for it here. Yeah. But uh, but when you actually taste it, it's just phenomenal. A uh, raw raw milk. Uh, and I'm sorry, what was the name of that cheese? Roll right, roll right. And is that also a Scottish cheese, or? No, no, that uh, the David Jarno is is English. You know, he's is uh, is an English producer, and uh, and but he does, you know, he he's, he's basically does now. He does Evan load, which is again another washed uh, or even load, I should say, another washed rind cheese, which is which is quite phenomenal. In the, he reminds one of of the sort of Maroi or Moray or Maroi. Maroi, yeah. Mara, that's it. That's it. Sorry, yes, yes. Uh, my tongue's not doing anything. Um, yes, in France, which is sort of fairly sticky, washed rind, mm-hmm. but but quite pungent. But again, ultimately quite delicate when you get to it. And of course, he's uh, Morbier wannabe called Ashcombe, which is which is unashamedly a copy of Morbier. Mm-hmm. But as he said, you know, it, it's it's a British Morbier, you know. And I think I think that's 
as cheese that you don't associate with England. And, and I think the reason I like him uh, because he produces cheeses that you normally associate with the continent in many respects. You know, when you think England traditionally, and I suppose that's why I want to mention him is because he is the new era of British cheese. You know, uh, when you when you talk to about England, you you know you have these visions of these wheels of sort of fairly hard, flavoursome, but you know cooked cheeses. You know, your sort of Lancaster, Cheshire, Lancaster, all that, um, cheddars and so forth. Whereas this is. I think Britain's discovered subtlety when it comes to cheese. You know, there's a lot more cheese now that is 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 uh, you know, techniques are different, the uh, invention is different, um, and yes, some of the some you know like this like this Ashcombe is okay. It, it is like a Morbier, and it, it it's meant to be like a Morbier, but it's very much a British take on it. How so? Uh, well, it, it's basically got a. It's just it. Firstly, the texture is slightly more. Toffee-esque, for a start. Okay. But secondly, is is the taste. So the Morbier is, is a lot more subtle in many respects. Uh, you know, it's it, it's a little bit more. I wouldn't call it refined because that's not the right word. But it's it's somewhat smoother um, uh, on a tongue. I mean, whereas whereas the the Ashcombe is slightly more. It deconstructs rather than melts. If if that makes any sense yeah. on the tongue. Yep. For for one thing, and secondly, it's it's just got that extra bit of of. Um, um, I won't call it nuttiness, but also almost like floral element to it, which which I don't think the original Mobier does. No, no, it's, it, um, it is definitely more mild cheese. So yeah, so so I, th- I think I think the original is slightly nuttier, slightly so even more carabelli in the same extent. But this this one, it's it's I would say it's it's more pastoral than anything, you know. Mm. Um, uh, whereas they, you know, if, if you if you put them side to side, you probably wouldn't notice much of a difference. But but when you actually put them in your mouth, they are they are different. Um, so David Jowett and, and his, his cheeses, they say, I, I certainly would, you know, if if, if every, anyone ever comes to the UK and say, all right, do you know something, I really want a, a piece of, of cheese, I'll, I'll go for a roll right. He actually does now mini roll rights, which are individual portions. So you can actually, you know, have one or share one rather than a, because the, the, the original roll right is more like a livaro, which is sort of a, like a okay. plate plate size, you know. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so he, he would be certainly one that I would I would recommend. So Middle England is more mostly. Um, and I mean, going towards the West Country, as I say, I mean the the, so the Trethorn brothers that do amazing stuff, and they and they and their Carfilly is sensational. Um, is, and the reason is, is Carfilly yeah. only made in Wales, or do are there English producers as well? Well, they it's technically only made in Wales, but they are now moved out of Wales and produce it in England. Okay. Um, and what I like about it is that um, uh, it's bitter, you know, as as essence, it's bitter. It's a bitter cheese, but it's not a bitter cheese that is unpleasant. It's a it's a bitterness which is almost like, you know, like drinking a cup of of coffee without milk or sugar. You know, there's a bitterness, but 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 the bitterness isn't the overwhelming feeling. It's the flavour, um, and and the way they do that is is just spectacular. And, uh, especially as you know, Cafile is a cheese that doesn't need to mature for a huge period of time. You know, it's about sort of uh, you know, two weeks up to a month and so forth. But it's just I don't know how they pack it quite so much. I think again, it, it must be the 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 way that the, the fat is not separated or whatever. I'm not sure, but the the Cafile in the west part of the country is, is special. Um, um, and and um, incidentally, I mean, the reason it wasn't 
meant to be matured for too long is because it was a staple. You know, it was one of those things that you made and and then you you had it on the mine and so on and so forth. You know, and and incidentally, the the rind is is fairly hard and and actually quite unkept, if you see what I mean, because it wasn't supposed to be pretty. It was supposed to be something that dirty hands would hold while you have the paste and and then you discard it. So it was almost it was a very functional cheese in many respects. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know the Trithons only elevated it. I think to a to a gourmet you know, experience. Well, I think it's what, what people often sort of forget, you know, in, in, in when we talk about cheese today is, you know, because it's become, it's sort of becoming this luxury good. A lot of people forget that it was, you know, it was a meat substitute for, for the working class and, and middle class for centuries. Right. And, yeah, absolutely. and it, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Not all, and I mean the Welsh. In fact, they've got a reputation for being very clever with their food. I mean, the, the the famous Cornish pasty was designed to have a main course and a pudding in one. So, that, you know, on, in one side of the pasty you had the meat and veg and, and what have you, and then a, a wall of um, dough would separate the the other corner, which would have jam and something sweet in it. So a worker down the mine could just basically bite into the you know into the the meaty end, if you like, have, have and then have the the, the pudding um, after. So, you know, there is a history of, of very functional food in in Wales in that respect which um you know um, but yeah the the, the kafili they produce they uh, just over the border actually in the west country but it's it's special as well hmm. um so yeah i mean it's and i mean one notable thing that i also say i mean if we move slightly across the border uh, across the sea i should say i mean i know we talk about britain and i know ireland is the republic of ireland is very much an independent place and i wouldn't want to Step on toes. No, I just I I I've got Irish friends and I know how important that is. So I wouldn't want to associate Ireland with with England or with Britain in this respect. But what I would say is that there is a there is an Irish cheese called Gabin, uh, which is absolutely fantastic in many respects. It's a it's a sort of fairly moist, uh, slightly holy but moist uh, um, paste. And part of the reason for that is is and it, it is deconstructed in a very special way. Um, they make it in a in a in a farm um, where there is this actually this actual bacteria which was called it's something gubinese or something like that. I can't quite streptococcus gubinese something like that. I can't quite remember the exact words now. I can I can look it up, which you can't really find anywhere else in the world. Uh, and this is embedded into the walls of the dairy, mm-hmm. and they've tried to replicate it in many other cultures. You know, in the, uh, the culture in many other. Uh, uh, ways and they couldn't and it's very much a unique cheese because of that yeah. and it has got a very very specific flavor slightly salty um, and again quite quite mineral in, in that respect but it's it's it's, it's lovely um, it's a bit like the Celes uh, you know the, uh, the cheeses in uh, in France which have got particular vats uh, with a particular culture they can't really replicate so I would say that's a notable I mean the, the islands have got lovely cheeses in many respects but this one is special because it's so unique um, mm-hmm. uh, and then going further towards the Northern Ireland, I would, I would, uh, there's a chap called uh, Mike Thompson. He's, he has a lovely um, uh, shop called Mike's Fancy Cheeses. Uh, it's quite, it's very, very approachable and amenable character. And um, where's the cha- where's the shop? Uh, he's, he's in Belfast. Okay, sorry. Yeah, and he's yeah he does uh, a young buck, which is a blue cheese, and again it's very much. Uh, unrepented blue that will 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 overtake you know it, it's it's one of those cheeses that you don't want to have first on on a board because then you probably won't be able to taste, <laughs> taste anything, anything else, else. <laughs> it will it will yeah it will completely uh you know but but you know in a nice way but it, it, it's a it's a what we like to call a cheese that likes to conquer you know it, it doesn't just uh it doesn't just go on a palate and then it slowly drifts away this one will linger you know um 
and I mean, I've had the pleasure of having a piece which I, I did actually experiment where I, I had it when I was first sent to me, and then I left it just deliberately to see what happens. And it didn't mellow with age; it just got even more fierce. So, uh, but it's it's a very very nice cheese. It's it's a proper blue. You know, it doesn't have any of the complexities, if you like, of a Stilton or or a uh, you know. Uh, but uh, I, I, there's actually a new brand now called Stitchelton, mm-hmm. which is basically Stilton, but it's not made in Stilton. Uh, in that it's ramel, yeah. It, 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 yeah, but it's 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 more or less the same thing. It's just that it can't be called Stilton, so it's right. called Stilton, But it's 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 the same sort of thing. Uh, it's just a you know, I suppose, a naming convention. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, uh, so as I say, that all this stuff, you know, and and, and again, if if we were to have this conversation twenty years ago, even let alone thirty none of this stuff would be around. You know, you would still be talking about cheddar as the staple, as the, the, the defining, you know, the definitive British cheese. Um, and, I, you know, I generally don't think that's the case um, anymore, you know. And, and you have um, um, Old Rhone Wensleydale now, which is a, a, another Wensleydale-type cheese with a difference. You know, it's, it's kind of moved on from that kind of staple north of England cheese. You know, the Old Rhone is... It's got different profile these days. It's a lot of lighter, more subtle. Uh, you know, is that kind of a fulfilling, almost a fudgy kind of paste? Um, you know, again, that's that's phenomenal. There's this Hafford or Hayford, Hafford, I think, um, uh, which is is another sort of cheddary type, but without being quite cheddar. Um, mm-hmm. And all these are, you know, are relatively new. I mean, Wesley Daisel is new as a creation, but this variation of it is quite new. Mm-hmm. And it's quite exciting as well. I, I've got to confess. I mean, I've always had Wensleydale, and I've fairly enjoyed it. But it wouldn't necessarily be my my go my, my go to cheese. But all around, I'll, I'll happily have it all day long. You know, it's 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 completely different uh, in that respect. It has traditional notes. You still recognise it's a Wensleydale, but uh, because it's got that crumminess and that kind of uh, um, a richness to it, but uh, it's just more subtle. Mm. Um, and um, also need need to mention the the uh, um, um, Sinnerton Hill, which is probably the, one of the best goat cheeses I've had um, recent. Well, for the last you know, five years, um, you know, it's it's, sort of, it's it's a kind of not quite a pyramid, but it's a half pyramid shape creation, which is sort of very soft, sort of gooey center, if you like, for a goat cheese, and it's a little classic, quite ripe, uh, but quite uh, sort of lactic mm-hmm. uh, rind. Uh, and it's made in in close to a hill called Sinodon, hence the you know uh, the, the name. Um, and it, actually, and it's just a, qu- a quick question on that. Sure, so yeah, normally, sure. when you think about British cheeses, you usually just you almost sort of assume cow's milk. Although, of course, there are lots of sheep in England as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Are, are are there more sheep and goat cheeses sort of emerging now, or very much? I mean, goat cheese is still seen as very much as a niche taste uh, I, I i personally love it but it is and there are some very very um you know um uh, competent goat cheeses very very common uh, out of which as i said this particular one is the is the pinnacle of it but the best i mean in terms of sheep there, there, there's there's berkswell and i mean the berkswell is the reason i love berkswell as, as that's a sheep cheese is because i saw an interview with with a with a, uh, the chap i can't remember the name now but the chap's making it and they could tell you a, a good batch from a bad batch purely on the number of little indentations that are left after you um, uh, you remove the molds. Because they said if those indentations are too pronounced, that means we didn't have enough stuff that day to take them out when we should, so they were staying in the mold for far too long. 
and I mean that level of detail, which you know, as an amateur cheesemaker, obviously I noticed them, but I won't tell you. <laughs> you know, uh, and and remember, I make you know my my my, my batches are sort of eight to ten cheeses and so forth, you know, at the time. Um, but that level of detail in a professional outfit, you know, that makes it, it's it's phenomenal. And Berkswell is is in terms of sheep cheese is just you know is, is outstanding. Um, and I think with with things like uh, Tresholm and with things like um, the Berkswell, I think they have their own. Um, uh, you know, um, animals. They, they they look after their own production as well. So some of the others uh, have to um, get milk where they can, but these to actually make sure that they have you know the, the the cattle and the and the sheep and whatever on site, and they look after them in a in a way in which they would like to um, uh, you know for, for milk. To, and I think this is why I think that that whole idea of terrar is now becoming a thing in England, where you know it's just not enough that we get the milk like. You know, for all the right reason, I understand why the cheesemakers of Canterbury do, and I'm not, yeah. you know, having a go in any respect. But would you call that a Canterbury or Kent cheese? Well, if the milk is, you know, essentially coming from north of England, probably not. But as 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 nice as it is, um, whereas whereas these guys, as I say, I think they are taking that to a different level, and and they are now looking into producing that very specific individual, you know, taste. Um, so yeah, Berkswell is a great example of a sheep cheese, which is, you know, again, a, a cut above the rest, I think. Very nice. And if someone were coming into England, let's just say for a couple of days for, for a conference or quick visit, and we're only going to London, um, mm-hmm. where could one go to find some of these cheeses in London? <laughs> Um, well, luckily, there's actually an increasingly number of, of places where you can. I mean, but I think, uh, you know, Paxton and Whitfield, Neil's Yard, those are two very, very, very good um, cheese cheese shops, cheesemongers. Uh, I, I say I don't really want to call them cheesemongers because they, they actually do a lot of uh, affinage on site as well. They they have deals with the producers where they get the cheese in relatively young and then they, they actually mature it on site. And then, but those two, I would say, if, if I were to go to London and say, right, I've only got one day here, which one I would choose? It'll be one of those two to get the best british cheese around at the moment and have a chance to also get the the the, the relevant stock uh so you know it, it's one thing to order online and say okay well i can wait four weeks for, for this to be delivered or whatever but um uh, you know to actually have it on site and i can taste it and take it away and, and not just that but the, but the level of knowledge that, that those guys have as well and, and be able to tell you a lot about what they what they hold you know so that's why i think calling the cheese shop or cheese manga is is limiting in many respects you know all right well i think we could probably talk all day but i think that's probably a great place quite, to stop quite. Um, mike where can people find you on twitter if they want to know more well, I yes, um, I'm on Twitter as this is the way, which is a Star Warsy pun, I suppose, because of co- trying to combine my two passions. Uh, way, obviously, way. That's way. W H E Y. Indeed, yes, indeed, yes, it is. And and and, uh, and on Instagram, I'm just like myself, you know, mm Mister. And um, but uh, you know, always happy to uh, interact in any way, and um, you know, pictures, books, articles, and so forth. So I'm always uh, I'm always up to talk about cheese. All right, and I have one final question. You have at least it appears at least one whole wedge of cheese. Every single day. Do you really eat that much cheese? <laughs> yes. It's just, I put a I put a notification very early on when I started talking about cheese online. And this is, it says, it's about honesty and about trust. And I think this is what some people appreciate. Firstly, any photograph that I put there is a cheese that I've photographed and eaten myself. If that's not the case, I will say so. I, I would say this is 
something else. But everything that's photographed is eaten. None of it is thrown away. Every single thing that I, I have, I mean, I might not finish it in the same day, but <laughs> every single thing I eat to the last morsel without without fail. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again, Mike. And uh, I hope that uh, more people will find you and, and uh, hit you up to talk about cheese. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks for joining me and Mike this episode. Um, next time on The Curdverse, I'll have another interview, this time with Perry Wakeman, head of cheese at Rennet and Rind, also in the UK. And we'll be talking about the fine art of affinage. So join us again next time as we once again enter The Curdverse. Uh-huh.